up already. Damn. Tell me who in this house know about the quake. I mean, really, really. If you know how to rock, say yeah. Yeah. If you know how to party, say oh yeah. Oh yeah. But if you ain't hip to the rare house quake, shut up already. On this episode of the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast, we got dancing on the brain. It's the brand new groove going around and it's the house quake. And helping me bring the house down is Julian Long. Welcome back to the show, Julian. Hey, good to be back, Jason. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on this episode. So we're going to do house quake. This is the third track on Sign of the Times, disc one. And, you know, uh, the previous song, Playing the Sunshine, was also a really kind of fun happy song joyous song and this is joyous and fun in the same way but it's got a little more of an edge to it in some ways i think and really i mean the 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 big question we're gonna have to answer and resolve in this episode is does anybody know about the quake what do you you mean really really (laughs) i don't think enough people know about the quake i think the quake is is beloved by those who who love Prince as as one of those great sort of underrepresented songs, but I don't think enough people know about this song. So I, I hope that in breaking this down, we can in, we can introduce more people to the quake. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the house quake has always been one of my favorite songs on the album. It was never officially released as a single, but it did. It was released as a B side to one of the biggest hits off the album. You got the look. So I think. There's plenty of people that knew it, even if you didn't own the Sign of the Times album. You probably heard this song as the B-side, or maybe you heard it spun on the radio from some stations that weren't, you know, um, tied to just singles only and playing stuff off of flip sides of, of records. I'm hoping at least. I mean, I know my local records, my local radio station didn't play it, but I'm hoping there's radio stations out there in the U.S. that played Housequake because it, it's a it's a jam, man, and it's 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 a really fun song to listen to, dance to, and hopefully to break down the lyrics a little bit like we're going to do on this episode. For sure, let's let's get it. Yeah, so with this song, I mean, I feel like Prince is kind of uh reaching back into the past a little bit, pulling some James Brown influences out of his bag of tricks. Uh, you know, the mashed potato comes to mind when I'm thinking of this song and trying to start a new trend, a new dance craze, although dance crazes in the 80s, I mean, I guess Walk Like an Egyptian, and there were some other examples of quote-unquote dance crazes that made for really popular songs, but not in the same way, I don't think, like the Twisted in the 60s with Chubby Checker and and some of those um, those dances that just became, you know, synonymous with pop music and pop culture. I don't know. I, I I could think of a lot of other examples, but like the electric slide, and of course, even in the Prince canon, we have songs that he wrote for the time that ended up being dance crazes. The bird, the yes. walk. I mean, yes. so he was he was kind of all about this. This was like those were five six years previously, and he was writing songs like that. So I feel like this is this was in his DNA from from the jump, really, writing a song to like the of this nature with like a dance craze type song. 
I feel like with the with this it was definitely it was definitely something that he always had in him. It was weird because when I did finally hear this song, I didn't hear this song again like most of the songs we talk about. I I never hear them when I'm supposed to hear them. And Sign of the Times when it came out occurred for me the way that the way that people talk about jazz is how Sign of the Times occurred for me as an album. So I was too young to want to get into it. I legit didn't buy my own copy of Sign of the Times until I was a sophomore in high school, I think. And that's when I heard Housequake for the first time. And that's when I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my gosh, because while it didn't sound quote unquote like Prince, it sounded absolutely like Prince. Like you have, Mm -hmm. you know, we have these sort of even the most the most minor Prince fan will have sort of a basic understanding of who Prince is, right? And then there's this other sound that you associate with Prince, but it doesn't necessarily sound like Prince. And that's usually the music that he did and gave to the time. So when I first heard this, I was like, this is a Morris Day song on a Prince album. <laughs> yep. And just and that's yep. that's what it felt like. But then just the 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 characterization, there's there's the the version of Prince that we get here is one of my favorite versions of Prince. It's like you all, you know, there's there's sultry Prince and there's there's deep brooding philosophical Prince and there's damn near presidential holy Prince. Like there's these different versions of Prince that we get, and this is silly Prince, and mm. I like silly Prince. Silly Prince is is really one of my favorites because when you start to when you when you look at this song compared with the others, like to your point, yeah, it's an absolute jam. But it's also just kind of you, you get the sense like he let his hair down and just had a lot of fun, which is antithetical to how the actual process of recording it went, apparently. But the sound of it was just fun, silly happiness. As far as it being a dance craze, it didn't. <laughs> all, the only way that I could ever think of to dance to this was just to kind of stomp around, which, yeah. you know, works it's if you're not a, a, it's not a real It's not a real complicated dance i mean there's not a lot of uh memorization it's not as complicated as the macarena (laughs) (laughs) right right and i think too it was i i whether or not he actually expected people to to move their bodies in that specific way and make the housequake a dance craze he definitely made a a danceable song like it's 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 the song you can't not move to it there's a weird thing like i feel like this should have a more well-known sort of line dance thing to it like this should be right out there like you said with the cha-cha slide or the electric slide or or um what's that other one the wobble like i feel like it should have something like that that once this comes on everybody knows what to do while it doesn't i've never seen it reacted to that way what i've also never seen is people not dance to it like you got to do something you're gonna stomp around and, and do something to move your body to it and and that part is good enough with me. This I feel like I think this is just one. What this needed was like a a kid and play or a school days like a movie like that to have featured it and shown everybody what to do, and it would have boom, it would have been a thing. And I I still think the right film could pay lots and lots of money and have this in its soundtrack <laughs> and have the dancing. Like remember what was it? Uh, it was just in the in the Oscars. The other week, Glenn Close was doing the butt because they were oh, showing yeah, like yeah, yeah. all the great, yeah. like there's, there is this and, and he used the butt share a certain DNA. Like they're, they could hang out in the same places. 
it's just Spike Lee chose EU's the butt to feature in school days and Housequake didn't get that particular call, but it's not yeah. too late. Somebody somebody will make us see it. It's never too late, and now is a great time as any because Sign of the Times getting its super deluxe edition release last right. year and uh I don't know. I mean Prince's music is being licensed more and more by the estate, so it's 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 time, man. It's time. Um, no pun intended. And, and, the th- <laughs> and the thing is about this song, I really do think he spent more time creating the song, the you know, the 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 music behind it than he spent trying to create an actual dance to go along with it. Like he didn't spend any, hardly any time on that. And it was all put into the music. Um, Cause if you watch like the sign of the times movie or any of the concert footage that's out there of when the song is performed, really the dance is, is just leaping up in the air and maybe lifting one of the legs as you come down, you know, and that's, that's the extent of it. That's, that's, it, that's yeah. the house quake. <laughs> That's the house quake as presented by Prince. So yeah, it would probably take a, a bit more of a creative approach. Some somebody with some more um, dance experience or who uh, whatever. Somebody putting more more time and effort into creating a more elaborate dance to go along with this to really make it pop and really make it popular. But sure. uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if that un- ever happens. Un- <laughs> unpopular opinion. I'm gonna say this, and you can cut this out if you think it's gonna be too too controversial prince was a great mover but he wasn't really a great dancer yeah he wasn't like he wasn't like a it wasn't like a he wasn't you wouldn't look at prince and be like man the choreography it was just like he knew how to move his body to the sounds that he was making but if you isolate like if you ever watch some of his dancing without the sound on it's just kind of like what what what's what's is the boy okay make sure (laughs) (laughs) somebody go take him some water he don't look good <laughs> he didn't know how to move though like, he had control, total control over his body right and he could do things that I can't do but yeah you know in terms of like classical dance training and whatnot, I mean I, I, I've never read any kind of history that he's taken any sort of dance training or had any kind of training in terms of um, you know making more balletic moves and and turning those into something more uh, modern for what he was creating. I mean, people cite Michael Jackson as an amazing dancer, but he's, he, I don't know, he seems more like in the James Brown vein of just like, he knows how to move to his music and he does right. things creatively with his, you know, James Brown's got that shuffle that he always did. And that's a James Brown move. It doesn't make it a great dance move. It just makes it a really memorable thing that James Brown does to his music. Exactly. was kind of the same way with the splits. And, you know, he had that one, uh, was it a Detroit call, crawl when he was kind of crawling across the, the stage on his back? You know, he could do things right. that nobody else was doing, but our, yeah, to call them great dance moves is maybe a stretch. Um, okay, yeah. So the recording of this song, going back to, I think you alluded to that a little bit. This was this was recorded during a pretty rough period of his personal life. He had just like the, literally the day before he publicly announced the the disbandment of the revolution on. October 18th, 1986. And the next day he comes out and, and creates this, like this is, <laughs> and, and I guess this is kind of a, when you think of it, it makes sense, right? I mean, cause he didn't have a band anymore. He, he dismissed the revolution, didn't have a band, but right. he still wanted to show that he could be still his one, his own one man band, just like he did when he started off in the seventies. He was a one man band then. 
he's like, God damn it. I'm going to be a one man band again. And I'm going to show people not only can I make, you know, a really cool song, like uh, if I was your girlfriend or something like that by myself, but I can make a jam. I can make like a song that sounds like it's a full band production, but guess what? It's not, it's just right. And that's how good I am. So I thought that was kind of interesting how he created this party atmosphere, uh, you know, a day after basically closing a chapter on his career, a very popular and successful chapter. And then to come out with with a party song the next day is, is really an interesting approach at managing his own personal feelings about that through through music and through song. It feels like a very Prince thing to do. Like there's, it, it feels, it feels like there's a little bit of a, I, I feel like some of it is coping. Like I ain't nobody, I don't need anybody else to help me party. I can party on my own. And a part of it is a little bit of a fuck you to mm-hmm. the people who he just, you know, for whatever reasons had, had just disbanded to be like, I can still do this without you specifically. Like you're going and and doing it the day after can't be it it can't be a a mistake like that has or not a mistake a coincidence it feels like it was something deliberate and intentional to send a message. I I have the same thoughts on that um, as you do, and I don't know if we're right or not, but boy, it sure seems like it's a, <laughs> it's more than a coincidence, like you said. It, it does feel a little bit like that. And like, you know, Prince getting his groove back, so to speak, and and doing that with the song that grooves. Uh, let's see, what else did I want to bring up before we get into the vocals? Uh, we got Eric Leeds and Atlanta Bliss on the horns. Otherwise, all the rest of the instruments are played by Prince. Um, he does some of the, his own backing vocals, but the, the party, the sounds that, that uh, have the party style vocals, when you have the call and response sections of the song and you hear a bunch of voices in the background, responding to prince's questions or comments in the song some of that's prince but he also just seemed to just grab whoever was around at that time so he's got (laughs) he's got his engineer uh, as background vocals he's got members of his uh, personal security doing background vocals other instrument techs were were recruited to participate in this song to give it that party atmosphere you know to create the sound of like a crowd responding to him so, so he didn't have a band anymore. So he's like, shit, I can't, I can't call in, you know, Wendy, Lisa and Dr. Fink and all these people. I, who do we got? Oh, we got Joe, the, the drum tech. All right, get in, get in here. You're going to, you're going to be on my, uh, my new song. Okay. All you have to do is say, really? Really? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you got this. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry about it. You'll be good. So, yeah, it's just one of those things. And another thing that's interesting about the creation of this song, of course, is his use of the Camille voice. Yes. This, if, uh, if you know, if you bought Sign of the Times shortly after it was released, this would be the first, very first song that you had ever heard where it was credited to Camille. Now, he does have songs recorded before this with sped up vocals, Erotic City, Love or Money is the B-side off of uh, one of the tracks on Parade. But they weren't credited to this alter ego, this persona named Camille. This is Camille singing Housequake, and it was supposed to be on the Camille release that got scrapped. And and few of those songs were included as part of Sign of the Times. Few of them 
one or two of them made it onto the black album. Some of them were B sides and one particular song didn't get released until decades later. But yeah, I mean, this just another kind of interesting trivia piece about this song is its inclusion of Camille. And because of its place in the track listing on sign of the times, it is literally the first time you would see credits to Camille or hear him in his Camille voice. Officially. So this was like, okay. Yeah. Officially. And that's just because once again, it's not, I'm, I'm not saying this is the first song he ever recorded as Camille. It's just more of like, as a listener, when would we have had an opportunity to hear him as Camille? And really this is it. Unless you were, unless you somehow managed a bootleg of the Camille record that got scrapped at the end of 86 that was supposed to be released and then he decided to or the record more more i should say the record label decided to not go forward with releasing that album so unless you had that unless you were privy to that um that bootleg this would be your officially your first uh, introduction to that character so now how how far does I have questions and again this might not fit with the track of the but how far does the Camille character extend because this this voice this characterization that he puts on for this song also reminds me of um I I don't know what else to call <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid there is a version of prince that I call the muffin man okay but you you know what i'm talking about when he talks in a very similar voice and he'll he'll offer that he has plenty of butter to go with that muffin and he'll he said this he said this like there was one time when he was dressed as like an old man and he did like a a weird sort of prank video thing and he was offering that and and it appears again in uh in the bat in the batman soundtrack and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but this song reminds me so much of party man. Like they feel very much in the same vibe and the, the voice that he sings in there reminds me a lot of the housequake voice. Is that to Camille is Camille, the muffin man. Am I, or are they just very similar characters? I think they're just similar. I think he was kind of, I wouldn't say so in terms of like crediting and using that alter ego, I think he was pretty much done with it after sign of the times. Okay. Now there are carryover songs like uh, "Feel You Up," which mm-hmm. ended up being a B-side to "Party Man." <laughs> Strangely enough, so "Party Man's B-side," if I'm if I remember this correctly, was "Feel You Up." But "Feel You Up" was recorded s- several years earlier as part of the Camille album that didn't get an actual physical release. So he pulled song from like 86 and put it on an 89 B side, but that's Camille because that's when it was recorded. It was recorded for that session for that album. I'm, uh, you know, and then somebody listening to this could certainly, you know, debate this with me, but I think he was done with Camille after recording that, those songs doesn't mean he didn't like ideas, didn't right. like playing with his voice didn't like uh, some of the stuff that he created and trying to manipulate his voice using technology or even just, you know, using his own means. So he does similar styles and creates music with similar vocal styles later, but I don't think they're Camille. That's just my opinion. 
I will I will have to dive more into uh, the Camille character and understand understand that character more because I'll be I'll be straight up with you when I hear Prince like this and when I hear Prince on Party Man, I in in my head it's always like, oh, he wrote that song for Morris and Morris didn't do it good enough, so he took it back and did it himself. Like <laughs> I swear to God, that's like all all the Camille type stuff. I'm just like that's why that's why Morris Day was necessary to make the Prince music that Prince didn't feel like he could make. And then when Morris and, and the time weren't up to it, he was just like, forget it. I'll pull in whoever's around and make my own band, and we'll and we'll get it knocked out. But like it it just it that's how it always occurred for me is like sometimes Morris Day is not available. Or isn't nailing it, and Prince is going to put that out there. Otherwise, he has sort of crafted an outlet for these kinds of sounds. Yeah, he didn't really have an outlet for that anymore in '86, and maybe that's part of the creation of Camille because he wasn't making music for the time anymore by this time, by you know 1986, late '86, when the mm-hmm. song was created. Because to your point, this does sound like a time song in the vein of "The Bird and the Walk" and some of those other songs very similar in style and and he didn't have that outlet anymore the time we're done i mean yeah they would come back but did this period of the 80s no morris was off doing his solo stuff jesse was doing his solo stuff you know the family had absorbed several members and that was kind of a one-year project only so i think he was probably still creating this type of music because this is what he does he loves this type this style of music but he didn't have that outlet anymore. So, hey, why don't I just create a, an alter ego named Camille and we'll just I'll just make sure to have all my vocals sped up so it, so it has that common thread, but they're all going to have a very kind of like raw, funky vibe to them and really dive into some serious topics, but they're all going to have this common thread of this, this character, this alter ego. So uh, that's kind of just my theory of of why potentially why he created Camille at the time and then why it also served its purpose because then he started creating music for the time again for Pandemonium. Uh, Then he had other band, you know, the NPG was a thing. And so he had the, you know, the NPG albums that he could create in the 90s to make some music that uh, not under the guise of Prince anymore. I don't know. So he just he had other outlets. I think is what I'm just basically trying to say. In 1986, you really didn't have it anymore. Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, but I would say that this is a an excellent example of that. All right, so moving on then to the lyrics. The song House Quake starts off with lyrics. I mean, that's you, you don't get like a musical intro. You're introduced right off the bat with with him yelling at us <laughs> he yells yes. at us and says, shut up already damn tell me who in this house know about the quake then you get the the crowd noise we do i mean really really if you know how to rock say yeah yeah if you know how to party say oh yeah oh, oh yeah. yeah but if you ain't hip to the rare house quake shut up already damn so that's the intro to the song so right off the bat you know from a, in terms of like a a deep lyrical perspective. Yeah, that's not this song. No, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's not this song. We're not going to really, really uh, glean too much into this and dive into some sort of, you know, really in-depth discussion about how, well, unless we're talking about Prince's fear of earthquakes, which <laughs> this may be, maybe this is one way of him coping with that and his experience out in LA, because that's another story that was related 
with the whole promotional and release of the sign of the time super deluxe last year i don't know if you listened to at all the the official prince podcast but that there were stories about how he was out in los angeles recording at sunset sound studios and and his girlfriend at the time Susanna melvoin had said something around or something about uh, he experienced an earthquake when he was out there and he really hated it you know being a midwestern boy he wasn't used to the ground shaking underneath him and feeling like right. he had no control over his own safety and what was happening around him so it really kind of fucked him up a little bit and and you kind of wonder because that happened earlier in the year to to create a sound a song that t- you know taking taking ownership of of earthquakes and, and repurposing them as a dance and calling it the housequake. Also, one might think of that as a way, another coping mechanism, like, you know, I'm going to turn this thing that scares me that actually literally scares me. And I don't get scared by much, but I get scared by earthquakes and I'm going to create a dance craze around it and, and conquer my fear that way. <laughs> just, just a thought once again, but I did not know that history, but yes, I completely buy that theory. I had no idea that it happened. So when, like when you said, when I thought you were joking when you said Prince and his fear of earthquake, and I was like, oh, ah. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, that. I mean, why not? It it that seems again that seems on brand for Prince. It seems there's Prince isn't somebody that I that I regard as being conquered by much. Um, he he always seemed really you know self aware, aware of of perceived limitations and aware of his power over those limitations such as it was. So if he had an experience that terrified him like that, it would not surprise me in the least that he would take two really shitty experiences and fix them both in a song and then be like, okay, cool. Done with that. Um, If, if that is true, if your, if your theory is accurate, what is particularly cool about that is how irreverent and goofy this song is. If it is, if it is a response to a fear or a trauma, a traumatic situation for him then to make a song that, that starts off, you know, with this hilarious caricature of chastisement, um, screaming at us to shut up already. Damn. And then, you know, later in the song, we get to things like don't wait for your neighbor, green eggs and ham. Just, Literally, it seems like anything that worked for the moment. Um, why? Why not? Why not take something that scared you and and have that much fun with it? I think that's awesome. If even if that isn't necessarily the truth, truth, it is the truth that I am choosing to believe because it takes an already really cool song that I think, I think you know, it's an easy song to love. It's a harder song for me anyway to place with, you know in the sort of pantheon of Prince songs that exist on this album alone. Like this album is full of just power songs, songs that like go down in history. And then you've got housequake, which is just this fun, goofy little brother song on here. But if it has, uh, if it has the kind of meaning that that backstory can imbue to it, then I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I'm with you on that. And that I like that theory too. Just, for the same reasons you do it, it just adds a little more weight to what is normally just a really fun, goofy song with, I mean, the lyrics are super quotable. I mean, everybody, everybody says shut up already. Damn now because yes. of, I mean, people that listen to Prince say it, I shouldn't say everybody. It's not quite permeated 
pop culture the, in that way. The only but, people that matter. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> those of us in the know, shut up already, damn, is is just a very it, easy... It's a t-shirt. Like, it's legit a exactly. t-shirt. Exactly. <laughs> Tell me who in this house know about the quake. So he's asking us, the listener, and I just love how he's just calling he calls them out like bullshit you don't you don't know anything about the quake right <laughs> because i just made this song up so how can you know anything about it like i'm just i'm, I'm playing this song for the first time and you're telling me you already know it bullshit <laughs> um so yeah we get that later but after that intro you're really kind of treated to the basically the camille attitude camille's got an attitude and that's uh evident in in most of the songs that this character is on and you don't get much more attitude than in the introduction, calling people out, telling them they're basically liars, right. uh, saying like, you don't, you can't get down with this. You, you, you can try, but you don't, you can't get down with this. Okay. So wait Let a minute. Hold on. The California thing that you were just mm -hmm. talking about when he says, I mean, really, really, he says that with a pseudo Valley girl accent. <laughs> I didn't notice that, but he does. But yeah. yeah, so like now that I'm thinking about it, because uh, when you were talking about like he calls them out and I'm like he actually mocks them, like they say yeah. we do, and he, you know, mockingly. I mean, really. And I'm now it now I'm feeling more of a California connection. I'm of course going to stretch until this all makes sense in my head, connecting all the red threads <laughs> on the pin board of this conversation. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's kind of dope. Yeah, definitely. I like that. So the chorus is housequake. Everybody jump up and down. Housequake. There's a brand new groove going round. Housequake. In your funky town. Housequake. And the kick drum is the fault. He also says you gotta rock this mother say housequake. So that's the chorus. It gets, it gets repeated a few times uh, in the song. Again, just fun lyrics. You know, just trying to... This is, this is where he attempts to teach us how to do the uh, the house quick everybody jump up and down you know, that that's that's the gist of it that's really all you have to do in order to do the house quake anybody can do it even you know the the worst dancers out there the the whitest of the white dancers but i can do this dance jump up and down it's it's that simple and, and later he would go on to inspire a young Chris cross who would <laughs> revisit the theme jump, of jumping jump, up and yep. down yeah i'm glad you didn't uh influence them to turn their clothes around though that was silly but <laughs> <laughs> it, that didn't take off that was well maybe it did in some circles but i, it, didn't, I didn't see sadly it, but... sadly it did it was it was a thing in a lot of places sure sure yeah ace makers telling you to turn your clothes inside out or up backwards and you're gonna do it for a little while at least until the the follow-up record doesn't doesn't hit the way the first one did <laughs> but... then it's all over but now what I do love in the chorus, in this version of the chorus, because later in the chorus he changes a little bit, is and the kick drum is the fault. Because to your point, like, yes, the song begins with lyrics, but in my opinion, this song talks a lot. So, like that that kick drum feels like it's talking. Like, you know how people make the you know, make the guitar talk or make the bass line talk a little bit? The way that kick drum Like the way that that keeps hitting and it just stays, it stays grinding and pulsing throughout the whole song feels, it feels conversational. It feels like it, it is, it is driving the, 
everything else that Prince is saying is being driven by that song. So him calling it out and the kick drum is the fault is really cool. But then later as the song starts to change and turn, he modifies the course accordingly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and now the epicenter of the housequake, if you will, later on becomes the saxophone. But I, I like how he, you know, while he might not do such a great job of teaching us the dance, he he definitely walks us through the the feel and the funk of it. Yeah, I like I like how he uses the word fault here, you know, and as, as it's reference to like fault line for um, an earthquake and like you said, the epicenter where the where earthquakes kind of generate from. But also like what's who's at fault here? What's the fault of this this earthquake, this housequake? It's the kick drum. The kick drum is the reason why we're we're dancing right now. That's the reason why we're getting down to this right. dance. It's the kick drum. So, you know, just turning that word and using it a couple different ways in this song is is clever. So there's definitely some some clever wordplay going on in the song in spite of it seeming like it's just kind of a tossed together lyrically, but there's 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 interesting stuff here. We do show you So the, the first true verse of the song is another one of those trying to kind of teach, teach us how to do it. Just, you know, the, along the same lines as all those 60s songs that try to teach you how to do the twist or the mashed potato or whatever, the Watutsi, all these songs where they, in the lyrics, they try to tell you what to do, even though most of the time you need a visual, but whatever, songs have tried to do this for decades. We're going to show you what to do. You put your foot down on the two. You jump up on the one. Now you're having fun. You're doing the house quake. Question. Does anybody know about the quake? Bullshit. After somebody in the crowd says, yeah, you know how to do it. Bullshit. You can't the audacity. get audacity. <laughs> audacity to admit that you know how to do the quake. You can't get off until you make the house shake. Now everybody clap your hands. Come on. Let's jam, y'all. Don't wait for your neighbor. Green eggs and ham. And there we got the <laughs> Dr. Seuss rhyme out of seemingly nowhere. Um, yeah, so this is really fun. Again, just great, quotable, memorable lines. Anybody know about the quake bullshit's very commonly recited line. You know, just the don't wait for your neighbor, green eggs and ham. So don't, you know, don't wait for your neighbor makes sense, but the green eggs and ham following it, not less so, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> It, it rhymes, you know, rhymes with jam. Um, so what What in this first verse, besides what we've already kind of talked about, do you see anything here that you wanted to point out, Julian? Not so much. I love the, I love that there's an urgency to it that he keeps pushing. Like, and it, it does sort of build up and we'll, we'll get to that in some of the later, li- some of the later lyrics, but he, he's really like, like it's, it's playful and it's throwaway and it's like, you know, it's it's still a lot of fun, but it also does start to build up a little bit of urgency. Like the, um, you can't get off until you make the house shake. So we're not there yet. We still got we still got a lot more to go. And then now everybody clap your hands. 
sure, songs always urge you to clap your hands. Like, it's part of the thing. But the way that he says it, because he's in that character, um, it's... I want to say grandmotherly, but that doesn't feel, but it does. It, it feels like instead of it's just like clap your hands because you know, this is the part of the song where we do that. It's like, you're not doing it right. Everybody clap your hands. Like you're, you're still <laughs> not getting it. And, yeah. and it adds pretty this impatient sort of, with this, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> right. And it adds this sort of, but it adds an energy and an urgency to it that to me adds to the fun just because, you know, it's difficult to take the Camille voice very seriously and so it makes the it makes the intensity that's being applied to this already intense song because of the driving beat um, feel a little bit comical. And I dig that. And I just like how, like you said, it just has some there's some urgency behind it for some reason. And, and you know, dance crazes and dance songs are supposed to be real chill, you know, like, hey, let me show you how to do this dance and everybody's going to get get it together. And we're going to it's going to be this great time. Prince is treating this like. Like it's do or die, you know, like you got to right. figure this out. And I don't have time for people who just don't know about this quake and, and we can't, I don't know. It's just, it's got that weird feel to it where it's almost like you feel a little angsty and uh, he wants us to, wants us to figure it out, but we're not, we're just not getting it. He doesn't, doesn't have the patience What is for wrong it. with you? You got to clap now. Everybody clap your hands. Come on. What? Yeah, it, you know what it kind of sounds giving like? me an anxiety attack. <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> you know what it kind of sounds like? It it kind of sounds like the frustration of somebody who who you know what? If you're not gonna do it, I'll do it myself. Which ironically, given that you know, again, the revolution just disbanded and he did all of this by himself, it kind of fits the creation of the song. But it's like when because I, I actually go through this. I'm I'm one of those horrible people who cannot delegate anything. So somebody like I'll be overwhelmed beyond, you know, beyond any reasonable measure and someone very kind will offer to help me with something. And I start giving direction and about, you know, halfway through, I'm like, you know what, just here, give it, give it here. I'll do it. I'll do it. It, it, it goes like this because you're not going to get it. You don't understand what's in my head. And the way that Prince is talking about this is like, OK, so now who gets it? Bullshit. No, you don't. <laughs> like it, it feels it feels like this is this is the version of you know what just forget it i'll do it myself which now that i think about it and maybe that's just my family but that does feel kind of like grandmotherly it is that sort of nagging i want you to get it but you're not gonna get it it's easier if i can do it and that was pretty much where his you know musically anyway that that's where his life was at that moment yeah A little bit faster than it did. The 67. A twist, little sister, and go to heaven. Come on, y'all, we got the jam. For the police come. A group is fucking. It's on the run. Hey, hey. Shake your body till your neighbor stare at you. All right, so we get the chorus again. It's the same. There's no change in the chorus this after this last verse, so I won't repeat that. And then the next verse, now that you got it, let's do the twist. A little bit harder than they did in 66. A little bit faster than they did in 67. Twist, little sister, and go to heaven. Come on, you all, we got to jam before the police come. A groove this funky is on the run. Hey, yeah, <laughs> shake, your <bo> <laughs> yeah shake your body until your neighbors stare at you. And then he repeats quake. Quake, quake, a few more times and goes a little slower there. Okay, so this one, he does 
call out and and you know give us a call out to the twist so he's reaching back like i kind of mentioned in the beginning back to previous decades you know he's he's obviously self-aware enough to know that this isn't the first dance song out that's ever been made and it won't be the last so to give that nod to the twist the basically which was i looked it up it was the it was billboard's number one song of the 60s for the entire decade of the 1960s and based off of airplay record sales all that stuff all that goes into billboard charts the twist by chubby checker was number one and i mean chubby checker didn't even create the twist that he did a this was a cover if i understand correctly i'll get out of here i didn't know that yeah yeah i looked that up it was uh let's see if i wrote it down oh hank ballard and the midnighters created the twist in 1958 but chubby's version which came out like in 60 or 61 something like 60 um ended up being much bigger you know a lot of times cover songs do that they just have that whatever it is that needs to to kind of break through yeah hank Hank ballard's version wasn't a slouch i mean it was still popular but it wasn't chubby checker level but i also thought it was kind of funny and maybe this is as good a time as any is that i don't know if you remember the late 80s had kind of like this in hip-hop had like this nostalgia kick with 60s music for some reason like it was oh, a yeah. thing for a little bit you remember salt and peppa did that song twist and shout and then yeah. the fat boys fat boys, the fat redid. boys redid the twist yep. with chubby checker <laughs> yep and this was this act those were actually uh like following year so prince was kind of on the cusp of that i mean granted it wasn't a cover and it didn't he didn't actually incorporate any elements of the twist other than just calling it out here let's do the twist but shortly after the song, you know, you, you have your Fat Boys and you have your Salt and Peppa doing songs, remakes of old 60s classics. I mean, I guess at that time they were only 20 years old, 20, 25 years old. But nevertheless, it was just kind of a, an interesting aside in hip hop history within that was that was actually happening. <laughs> so, right. It's kind of funny. It was it was a weird time because I rem- I remember the Fat Boys with their version of the twist because I remember I don't remember which one of it was it might have been Buffy was saying look at me and my CC next thing that you know boys he'll be rapping like me I'll ne- like why that stuck in my head of all things but it even then it felt like this doesn't feel like it's supposed to be happening <laughs> but you know it yeah. worked it was a lot of fun yeah yeah and, and they were popular songs too so because you know they they appealed to a wide wide audience he had those right. that really dug those songs from their original releases and like oh yeah modern modern hip-hop artists are you know respecting their elders so to speak by calling them in and helping them create these remakes but i what i don't what i never really quite understood with this verse is just the, the, the lines a little bit harder than they did in 66, a little bit faster than they did in 67. Cause I don't really know what happened in 66 and 67 to what he's referring to here. I don't know. I don't know if you do, but I don't I really don't. It, this might just be another green eggs and ham thing. Um, but I do know that I don't know how many versions I know there were a bunch of versions and sequels to the twist that came out after the yeah. first one was such a monster hit. So I just kind of assumed that it was, he was talking about one of the variations on the twist that happened in 67. Um, but it, I, be, but I also feel like it was probably just a, a green eggs and ham line because it worked, but it's, this is, this verse is probably my favorite part of the song other than the intro. Like obviously the intro with the, with the record scratch trope and all of that, that sets the tone so perfectly the way that this part kind of, 
like, is this the bridge? Like I'm trying like the music, the music changes significantly here and it becomes sort of a, it, it has a different vibe to it that I like. It feels a little bit lighter, a little bit fun. And of course it gets us to that, to that, um, that, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> I, I don't do it well, but I love it. And that, um, that, that occurs again in party man too, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You're I don't right. know yeah. if this is the first hey yeah that we get like that, but it became such a signature sound. It's literally I wait I wait for the song to get to this part and I smile like an idiot because it's just it's so much fun. Um that and also the line a groove this funky is on the run. Like that that whole little section is just funny to me. Um because the idea <laughs> the the image that Prince paints of this fugitive groove that this groove is is too funky to be legal. And mm-hmm. so we have to dance very quickly and very urgently before the police get here because this groove is a fugitive. It has to go. It, it, it's got warrants. <laughs> yep. It can't be caught. And so, like, again, like, the, the kind of fun that he has with that is great to me. Um, but we've been talking kind of around the call and response. I think, I think the call and response is so important in this song like this this has an almost churchy feel to it for me just because of the the church tradition that i grew up in call and response is always gonna always gonna trigger a little bit of that for me but um i do get the feeling that prince is a perversion of sort of the 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 southern baptist pulpit slapping preacher holding court and there's a certain point where the fervor gets so high that you can, you can, the preacher could pretty much say anything and people are going to be right there with him. And this, this kind of gives me that feel. And I think by the time we get to twist little sister and go to heaven, I know he's not talking about sister in the churchly sense of it, but it pays that off for me because we've been getting all this sort of call and response. We've got this person who's clearly at the front of the room, who's doing the instruction, who's chastising and, and, and putting you in your place and, and condemning you for, for what you've done that you shouldn't have done or for, for claiming to know more than you know. And then even in this point, the, the, the affirmation that you know, twist little sister and go to heaven, that just feels, it, it feels like the, go on and let him use you. Go on and praise him. Like it has that same kind of vibe to me. And I, I feel like the call and response gives it a little bit of he's holding church, even though it's, you know, it's clearly in a juke joint and not a not a church house. But the vibes are very close. Oh, I love that. I really do love that. Uh, now I've got that visual in my head now, too. And I in the line twist little sister and go to heaven. You that line now with the visual that you just painted in my brain adds a new element to the song that I never had before. So that is, that's beautiful. I, I, oh, I really that. dig that. I really dig <laughs> Cause that he's lot. got that hooping thing. The, Hey, yeah, is in that sort of that same tradition. And then, um, I don't like, again, I don't know how familiar you are with, with Southern Baptist churches or black churches, but it's not uncommon for the pastor to invoke that you perform something for the benefit of your neighbor. Or to turn to your neighbor and say something. You have to have heard, you know, even in a movie or something, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, do you know about the quake? Or something like that. And so when he gets to shake your body till your neighbor stare at you, 
it's all of this is just like for me, it's plucking what my pastor calls my my Baptocostal strings. It's plucking all of those and reminding me of this sort of this sort of uh, funk, this church of funk kind of thing. And churches do get this funky, uh, depending on like I've I've been a member of plenty of churches that have full horn sections, two drummers, an organist, a keyboardist, a pianist, and and a bass guitarist. They could they could indeed reach this level of funk and this level of fervor with, you know, with, with the pastor kind of egging it on and really doing what we call, uh, what we call in the, in the, in the tradition of worship leaders or praise leaders, exhortation. You're not really singing. It's like, if you listen to Kirk Franklin songs, Kirk Franklin doesn't sing. Kirk Franklin is an exhorter. All he does is pepper the song with little bits of, uh, little bits of affirmation, encouragement, and he he kind of guides and pushes the energy. That's that's what Prince lyrically and musically is doing. Like none of this is necessarily singing. Uh, you know, you get little bits of it, but to me, that sounds more like hooping. That we're gonna show you what to do. Put your foot down on the two. That's not so much singing as it is musically talking, mm-hmm. and and it it. All of that just it it fits so perfectly into into my understandings and vibes with church that I that's part of why I dig it so much. And this piece of it is the churchiest piece of the song. Yeah, I'm glad you painted that picture because I think there's going to be quite a few listeners that will be right on board with you. I grew up Roman Catholic, so about the also opposite. none of <laughs> <laughs> so none of this tracked with you. At all. Well, no, I mean, exactly. That's why, that's why when you brought this up, you know, in your kind of interpretation of how this song is presented and, and delivered, I mean, yeah, I'm, I've, I've seen what I've seen on TV and in movies, representations of Southern Baptist, but I've never actually attended a Southern Baptist service and certainly didn't experience it growing up as, you know, as a kid. So, you know, the fact that you're saying like, yeah, this, this totally tracks with that really, really helps me understand better. Maybe where Prince was going. I mean, he wasn't Baptist, but we know that he had the ability to recreate something like that, that he maybe experienced at some point in his life, even if, you know, he didn't grow up Southern Baptist, I'm sure he had some experiences where he could have relayed that in the song in a way that he, I think now makes a lot more sense to me. There was no music video for this song, was there? No, all we really got for a visual just a live performance. Side of times, yep, live performance movie. That verse, which I, or bridge or whatever we want to call it, uh, we really go back to the chorus again. But this is where he does make that that change that you alluded to before, where instead of the kick drum being the fault, he says, and the saxophone is the fault. And this is where we get uh, Eric Leeds on saxophone with his kind of like musical breakdown. Instead of a guitar solo, we've got a sax solo. He says, check it out. If you can't rock steady, shut up already. 
damn, you got to get off. You know what I'm talking about? On the one, you all say, housequake. Top of your body, let me hear you shout. This is just another really fun part of the song, the way he changes up the chorus, and now he's blaming the saxophone. <laughs> it's the fault and also now the fault line for for the housequake, because that's what you gotta you got to get down to. you got to get off using the saxophone as your method. So what's dope about this is by the time we get here, whatever whatever minimal rules he had for how the house quake was supposed to work are completely out the window. Like it was supposed to be, here's what you do. Put your foot down on the two, jump up on the one. See, now you're having fun. We got it. This is it. By the time we get here, shake your body till people stare, just quake, just clap, just whatever you have to do, just move. Like this is that, this is what I was talking about earlier. Like that sort of build to urgency. And, even when he gets like to that to that sense of ah fine f it I'll do it myself when he gets to if you can't rock steady shut up already damn you got to <laughs> get off like that's all like, just you got to get off whatever you got to do at this point if you can't do it that way just just do something but get off to the getting off because again <laughs> this this groove is so funky it has warrants and the police are on their way but like there's there's just little little trickles and things and that he drops in that build the urgency and even the music starts to it you know as the as the horns come in and there's a little um you hear the leslies of an organ i think in the background just sort of a constant underneath in the actual song that makes it feel fuller and bigger and while the song starts off sounding it doesn't sound sparse but it you know it it sounds like a manageable crowd by the time we get to the end of it and the music is so big and so and is swelling so much this feels like a much more intense situation like this is a song that in my in my head in my imagination the room is sweaty by this point like oh, it started definitely. off yeah, like this is this is when it's like there's been a lot of people moving a whole lot and now we've gotten to the point where it's just it's it's reached a fever pitch. It's going to boil over and Prince is still not satisfied. He still wants you to keep pushing. So like top of your body, let me hear you shout. And then you know, as we get to the next verse, you'll see it it'll, you'll see it ramp up even more. Yeah, I like how he does the callback again to the neighbors too. So before he's like don't wait for your neighbor then he says, shake your body till your neighbors stare at you. Mm-hmm. So it's like basically he's, what I take from that is just he's don't worry about what other people are doing. You know, this is this is your dance, your time. You got to just t- go for it and don't wait for them. Don't wait. You know, don't look around. So, you, you know, you can use that neighbors like if you're in a club or whatever, they could just be the people around you. Those are your neighbors on the, on the dance floor, on the, on the club floor. Don't look around, see if anybody else is doing the quake. Just go do it. Just, you know, shake your body, do it. Or, you know, you can take it to mean that in whatever setting you're in at home, in your neighborhood, uh, find the funk. And don't worry if your neighbors aren't ain't funky. <laughs> it right. doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. Just do do the quake. My Lord. My Lord. And he does call in my Lord here, too. And, you know, I don't I never really thought of like he's literally calling upon God or Jesus Christ, but he says, oh, my no. Lord, my but Lord. Absolutely. Oh, but he totally borrows the theatrics of church. He does that mm-hmm. a lot and, yeah. and he does it to great effect. And 
you know, I, I came to accept a long time ago that, you know, for Prince, it was very clear that there was a, a religious experience in music for him in the creation of it and in the enjoyment of it. So, you know, whatever, whatever Christian sensibilities might be offended by him doing that, which for me are, are very little, are sort of overwhelmed by the fact that people get their praise on in different ways. And there's something, there was something in, in the performative nature of being churchy that he enjoyed, even when he came to have a different relationship with an understanding, you know, with regards to his faith, the performance of churchiness and the theatrics of it were something that he could get behind because it elevated the experience. And it does. I mean, it's, you know, tent revivals and some getting people to gather together under a tent in the heat in the middle of the summer. There has to be something in that experience that people find not just, you know, not just spiritually feeding, but there has to be something entertaining about it. That's why they do so well in small towns that don't have much else going on is because there's a sense of performance to it. And his his utilization of it feels appropriate here. Even, you know, it, it you get sort of a crossover between a church house, a juke joint, and for reasons, you know, that, that makes sense musically, Cab Calloway's bandstand, all kind of in the same space doing this thing. So calling out my Lord makes perfect sense. He's already, you know, he's already hooped and shouted and smacked the pulpit and told the, and told the little sister what she needs to do to go to heaven. Why not call on? <laughs> Why not call mm -hmm. on the Lord? You know, even yeah. even just, you know, even just in the performative sense, even just theatrically, it, it works a lot. Bullshit. Yeah, so after he says my lord a couple times and then you have the the crowd noise behind him yelling housequake, he decides that, again to to yell out bullshit seemingly out of nowhere and like he's not even you know, nobody's even claiming to know the housequake. They're just saying housequake, housequake trying to, you know, they're just they're just feeding into his energy, right? And then he's and then he calls out bullshit. Louder, say it. Housequake. Then you get the shaka laka boom. What was that? Aftershock. <laughs> everybody, everybody, you got to rock. So I, that's another really kind of uh, memorable part of the song that has transcended the song. People know that shakalaka boom. What was that aftershock? Uh, I like how it's portrayed in live setting almost a little bit better because they emphasize like he adds more oomph to that to that boom that is supposed to happen at that you're kind of expecting after he says shakalaka boom on the recorded version it's there but it's kind of muted right. on the live versions he uses sound effects to much greater extent to really emphasize that boom like you kind of you really hear it and you kind of feel it even though it's through the television or through your you know cd or whatever if you listen to a concert on cd you can hear it you can feel it and that's what i feel like it's supposed to be every time i listen to the song i expect a, a a legitimately bass rattling boom. And I don't right. always get that on this, the sign of the times version. 
but you kind of imagine it, you know, you just imagine what you're, you know, you're feeling because he paints that picture shakalaka. Boom. What was that? Aftershock. It's a really cool part of the song. And, in, and visually speaking, like if you're watching the concert movie, this is the time where Kat comes down and she does that shake that she does when she's, you know, basically shaking her entire body. Right. In that way that Kat is, was known to do at the time. And uh, so I, those two images or that image and then Prince doing crawling on the back on his back across the stage immediately after this section of the song is where my mind goes visually because I've seen the, the concert film so many times. But then I hear a boom in my brain, even though I don't always hear it on the on the recorded version off the side of the times. Yeah, but it, you're right. It is. It's totally present. You like it. The feel of it is there, even though sonically it doesn't it doesn't reproduce well on the recorded versions. But mm-hmm. I love I love here how, you know, he builds to that fever again. When, and the seemingly random shout out of bullshit is it's like it's instigating. It's it's you're still not there yet. You're still not there yet. Show me for real. And again, just building it and building and building it and 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 making the whole thing get to this to this fever pitch and then that pays off finally it seems like the shakalaka boom and then camille asking what was that um and then the you know the background whoever's whoever's doing all those background voices delivering the aftershock payoff it's like that's what we were trying to get to we were trying to get to to this to this place where we finally hit it and only when we get shakalaka boom now we now we can say we know about the quake. Like after this point, at the after this point, there's no reason to call bullshit on us. We've we've done it. We've delivered the quake. It took everything to get there, but now that we're here, the quake happened. There's the aftershock, and so now it feels like the rest of it is just kind of the appreciation and the celebration and the uh, you know kind of basking in the awesomeness of the energy that's created. Again, from a moment that's supposed to, you know, again, at the top of the song, that moment is supposed to be when the party gets fucked up, right? Like when you, the, back in the, back in the eighties and the early nineties, when people still played vinyl at parties, that record scratch sound meant that was it. The, the party, party foul. <laughs> yeah, it's a party foul. It, the music is all <laughs> effed up. It's, it's going to take a while to, to rebuild the energy that we had before you messed up and did that. He starts the song with that and then builds and builds and builds and builds till we get to this shakalaka boom moment. And then, you know, that we've got, we've got horns, you know, leading us up there, taking us up the stairs, him exhorting and pushing the energy and driving the energy and challenging us and telling us like it, it all kind of, I I never really take the time to break it down when I listen to it, but when I really start to think about the tools that he employed, both musically and and performatively and lyrically, it really is an intentional crescendo all the way, all the way up till you know till we get to the to the end of the song. I get the image a bit of like a really tough uh coach or somebody who's really hard on his players and yells at them to get them to perform better and that's just his technique he's yelling at us louder say it bullshit you know and then finally it pays like it pays off immediately afterwards so it was like it it was just what we needed in order to successfully complete this uh this jam and 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 get off i guess right all right so 
the end of the song is, um, you know, at that point, it's kind of like the climax. And what we get towards the end, it, it's still going, though. The party's still going. And it's like it's it's kind of like riding this groove now that we, we, we kind of succeeded as the band and listeners and Prince, Camille, all of us have succeeded in kind of mastering the house quake. We're going to shake. We're going to quake because we got the baddest groove that we could make. We're on the two, y'all. Drummer's going to tap. We're going to see if we can rock this mother to the max. And that's a fact. Housequake. Come on, say it. Housequake. Come on, you can't follow it. We got the baddest jam in the land, y'all. Everybody shut up. Listen to the band. Housequake. Shut up already. Damn. And that's how the song ends. So at this point, yeah, we're kind of, like I said, we're kind of riding it out now. You know, this is this is us. We're, we're out top tier. We've mastered it. We're, you know, we're masters of the house quake and this is how it goes. You know, we're going to just keep shaking and quaking. we got the baddest groove that we can make. Drummer's going to tap. We're going to rock it to the maximum. It's basically saying, can we, can we keep going with this? Can we just right. keep pushing this forward? Um, we did it, man, but we don't want it to end quite yet. Shut up. Listen to the band. So we're. <laughs> or to, to mean, me, listen to the me. Cause it's just, that's <laughs> the kind of cool part is like, and, and, you know, to to know how the song is created is one thing, but like you, this song does not feel like Prince made it by himself and laid a bunch of stuff over it and pulled some people in the room and said, "Okay, pretend you're at a party." It doesn't it doesn't feel anything like that. Like by the time we get here, at least for me, it like I said before, it feels really full. So when he says, "Everybody, shut up, listen to the band," I'm like, "Yes, the multiple people that you." <laughs> that you clearly have <laughs> behind you as you know, cause he's, he's acting very much as the leader, you know, uh, again, the, the pastor, the coach, the chief exhorter, whoever he might be, he's behaving very much as the leader and then making room for, for the, you know, for the, for the musicians to be celebrated. And this part is all like the celebration of, of how dope this music is, how big this sound is, how full it is. Um, the baddest groove that we could make. And, and we're going to sing and rock this mother to the max. Like all of that is just continuing to push it. But it's kind of, it's a little bit sad. Like, I mean, not, there's nothing song, there's nothing sad about the song, but when you connect it with the reality of how it was created, the irony of everybody shut up, listen to the band. It's kind of like, Oh, but we can't. <laughs> right. They're not there. Prince. It's just you. He doesn't have um, a band yet. Right. <laughs> but then, but then when we get to, and, and I, I've never known how to read it, um, in part because I, I never knew if this was Prince's voice slowed down or if it was somebody else. But that last shut up already damn at the end of the song, you know, it the, the way this song bookends with beginning with the record scratch and shut up already damn. And it it being you know the beginning of this this hyper frenetic building and 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 crescendoing up of energy, and then this after you know we get this 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 dope little horn burst and it plays us out, and then we have this. You've heard me use this word talking about Prince and how he sounds singularly in some lines before this dejected sounding. Shut up already, damn, and it 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 closes the book in a weird way. Not in a way that's unsatisfying because the song really takes you there. Like everything about it lyrically takes you to these great heights. But the way that that last line, 
the delivery of it versus the delivery of it in the beginning and even the ways that it came off in the middle of the song are so different and and I don't know if it it feels like exhaustion, dejection, but it's definitely you you can't you can't not hear the comparison, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It, to me it comes across a little bit more like exhaustion, like we did it. Now it's time <laughs> to take, you know, he's taking a deep breath and if he's still Camille, like it's Camille's voice slowed down. I mean, it's probably just Prince now, just his regular voice, but right. you know, if you're listening to this as a Camille song, it's Camille's voice that's been slowed down. And the way I take that is it's more like I'm exhausted like we we pushed it to the max as he claims that they do we got to rock this mother to the max and at some point you mean it's unsustainable to to keep dancing and keep partying and keep having a a good time like this and it's just like every party has to end just like 1999 uh you know any any party song that he's ever created they all have to end at some point and i think it's a great it's a great representation of kind of the party winding down and and boy howdy does it yeah it winds down in a way that i think really makes sense and so only so the song could have ended like in two ways in my opinion it could have just kind of ended up with a bang like another big boom moment like shakalaka boom aftershock and then kind of ends that way but i like how it ends this way better because that's that's more realistic that's how that's how real parties end that's how real uh, real life scenarios and real life situations end. they all most of the time they just kind of wind down naturally it's like a real natural thing people start fading out they get tired they they step back they go back to the bar they grab their coats to leave you know and you've got a few stragglers that are still having fun but then they look around and they see they're not surrounded by the same amount of people anymore so they're start feeling a little more self-conscious about <laughs> going to the max <laughs> now just by themselves. True. So I just like how, how he chose to end the song on what can be perceived as a bit of a downer, but I think it's just a natural, natural uh, way to kind of um, wrap it up and wrap up a party, wrap up a jam like this is to, to take it down a notch. And there is something, there's something to be said about being the last person at the party and that you're right, like that level of exhaustion, because you're the one that's got to clean up all this mess. Like, especially if you've been the, if you were the one who threw the party, you were the one who hyped the party. You got everybody to that point. And when it's all done and everybody's had their great release and they've listened to the band and it's cool and now everybody's gone, it's just you and all the confetti and shit on the floor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've got to, and you've got to that kind of, <sighs> but it was worth it. And that part of it is dope. The way that this song, though, like like you said, it, it is this party song and all all the parties have to come to an end. The placement of it on the album has always been interesting to me because it is so weird going from this to the ballad of Dorothy Parker. And it's yeah. and also the fact that it comes after one of the few Prince songs that I don't really dig. I don't really care for play in the sunshine much. It It felt goofy, like not not goofy in a fun, silly way, but like. Did you literally open a song with "We Doggy"? I'm not. I'm not doing this. I'm not listening to this with you. I'm not doing this with you, Prince. No, like I've never really enjoyed that song, but it it's you know that is a different kind of that that felt like forced happy to me, and so I I couldn't really dig it. 
but it also felt maybe a little bit appropriate coming off a of sign of the times, which is, you know, an opus, but also like a huge, it's like, that's, that's a song that's got some weight to it. So you almost appreciate even the, the, what occurs for me is saccharine, uh, happiness of playing the sunshine housequake is like a jam jam, like a, you know, a fun, funky party jam. And then he takes strains of that, you know, that funk, and it's like in a completely different tone gives us the ballad of Dorothy Parker. And I've always wondered, like, what are you what was he doing to us? Like, what what was he trying to I, I, I look at songs and how they the order that they occur in on the album as, you know, maybe some kind of a code. And I've never understood why you would take us to this like fun funk fueled party. And, you know, it's third track. And I, I have a thing for third tracks on albums. And then take us to this completely different place. And and is there any association or connection there between those two songs? Or, you know, did some intern make that decision and Prince just said, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, originally this was, like I said, this was going to be on Camille. So that would not have been followed by the Ballad of Dorothy Parker on that, on that track listing. Right. I'll have to go back and look and see what was originally going to follow Housequake on the Camille album because I don't have that memorized. Um, but it would be interesting to see if he had like a kind of a similar style of song after this a similar style as ballad of Dorothy Parker, meaning like, right. Basically a one eighty. like we did the party thing. I ended it you no, know, on like kind of a little bit of a come down note. What's next. And I mean, anybody who's ever gone to a Denny's or a greasy diner after a party, it feels right in that way. Like the story doesn't, it doesn't feel out of place. Like it feels, it feels like an appropriate thing to do after a party, but musically the, the way that it takes you is just like, and, and to your point, like, I think you're right. The party does, ha- especially for them to be able to appear together like this, the party does have to come to a complete end. I don't even think you could do like a fade out with it still in, in high no. gear. You have to bring it to a full stop so that, you know, you, you realize, okay, that palate cleanse happened. That's good. We all got a rush, but now there's other stuff to attend to. It, it does make for, it makes for a much nicer transition to the places that the album goes afterward. Strange relationship was going to be the song that followed housequake on the Camille album. So huh. definitely a different tone. Yeah. Than this. So it sounds like he always kind of had it in mind to follow housequake up with a song that, uh, went a lot of different directions like ballad of dorothy parker is a different song than strange relationship but the the thing that they have in common is that they're both kind of like uh mid-tempo ish they don't have the same party atmosphere party vibe one's a really kind of difficult relationship song the other one's kind of like a dreamy this is what happened to me one night and neither of them feel like they are just a continuation of the party that housequake presents to us so i think he kind of always had it in his head that this was going to be the end of the party and i'm going to take this take this album into a different direction on the next track all right julian do you have anything else you wanted to talk about with housequake no i think that's it i'm going i'm absolutely going to listen to it again after this conversation because now i feel compelled to i want to feel that fullness in the room for a minute Mm -hmm. this is this has been dope it's not a super long song. It's only like just a very average length song, about four minutes. Right. Um, and it goes fast because of how just 
you know, the, the, the song is a lot of words to it. There's a lot of pieces to it that change direction. So you're kind of looking forward to the next section of the song. You look forward to the, the bullshit. You look forward to the shaka laka boom. So, you, <laughs> you know, look forward looking, to the bullshit. Dude. But one, I one of the I one do. of the few times in life when you look forward to the bullshit. You're looking forward to the bullshit in this song. It's just something about it. The way he does, if true, he didn't though. sing it in his Camille voice, I don't know. It might not come across quite as endearing. Oh no, it what, absolutely had to be delivered that way. It it needed that character. And it just yeah, it, because it it's a character. Otherwise, it just sounds like Prince being cranky if he's not in. His, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Camille's a character. He's got. She's got a, he's got, or he's got a lot of, it's Camille's, I guess a he, um, that's the pronoun that he, that he used back in the eighties to describe Camille. So oh, that's but sometimes know, people, cause I have been veying Camille my whole life. Cause I just wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and who knows he might, he might've Prince might've even been inconsistent with that. But from what I've seen is he does refer to Camille as a he. So anyway, Camille is a character with a lot of attitude. So the, it just is more, I don't know, it's an easier pill to swallow when somebody's yelling at you when it's in Camille's voice. Wait, question <laughs> real quick. I, I did actually have a question. Is this the first, did Shaka Laka Boom exist in the cultural consciousness before this song? Was it a thing already or did he make it a thing? Because I know Shaka Delica existed. That was Sly and the Family Stone. And then he named a song after that, right? Shaka Delica? Or right. Rock- yeah, this, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, but, but was Shaka Laka Boom a thing? Johnson. Oh, it's just, okay. Yeah. But I don't know about that. I mean, I've obviously in the 90s with the NBA Jam, we got the Boom Shaka Laka, but. I mean, right. That and there was that song, well, that song Dinosaur. Do you remember that song? Open the floor, get on, open the door. Get. Oh, it was, that was. Yeah. 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 And that was boom, boom, boom. Oh, no, that wasn't Shaka Laka. That was Akalaka. Yeah. I don't know. Somebody, somebody should chime in on that one. See if, if Shakalaka Boom, that was the first instance of that was in the song or not. Because I honestly don't know the answer to that. That's a good question. Okay. Well, hopefully one of your one of your listeners will will put it in the comments because I am curious to know, but not curious enough to research it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> All right, Julian. Why don't you uh, let everybody know what you're up to and where they can find what you're what you're doing. Sure, sure. So uh, if you enjoy listening to me talk and say words, you can hear that every Tuesday and Thursday evening at 10 p.m. Eastern on uh, our program on YouTube called Storytime with Julian. On that, we focus and center black literature, short fiction, everything from Afrofuturism to folktales to horror to uh, occasional erotica. There's something for everybody. And you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash storytime with Julian. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash storytime with Julian. Uh, Would love to have you guys join in. And seriously, it's a conversation. So I'm reading live cold reads. Uh, Never read the story before you hear me read it. So all the characters and vocalizations and voices are made up on the spot. So You'll get to hear me mispronounce lots and lots of words. Um, But we also read and share in the comments. So it's really kind of like a live book club. You'll be there chatting and participating with other people. Um, Yeah. So Tuesdays and Thursdays, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much for being on my show. Uh, Always a pleasure to have you on. For show. Yeah. Great guest. Great song. So thanks again. Thank you, Jason. Have a good one, man.
Yep. Take care. And this has been the Press Rewind Prince Eric's podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. You can find the show, Press Rewind Pod, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and um, on basically every podcast avenue. You can search for podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Just look for it. Google it. You'll find it. I appreciate uh, all my listeners. And until next time, goodbye. Shut up already. Damn.